Welcome to The Lead, a podcast where we learn how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did it. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy. In this episode of The Lead, I talk with recent Grady alumna Brittany Ray, who has spent the past three years as a crime beat reporter for the Savannah Morning News. After graduating in 2014, Brittany headed south to tackle public safety concerns for the Savannah area. In this episode, we discuss the necessity for crime coverage and the mental well-being of the journalists who cover it. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast was created by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership as a part of its Innovation Fellowship Program. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. We are on the road today for the lead podcast. <laughs> we are in Savannah at the Savannah Morning News, and I'm here with Brittany Ray, the crime beat reporter for the Savannah Morning News. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Just to get started, I'd love to talk about crime beat reporting. So I've had some experience working at the Red and Black, where you used to work as well when you went to UGA, you know, working on crime and, and going through these crime reports. But I'd love to hear your experience working in a professional position on crime. What's that been like for you so far? Crime reporting was definitely like an interesting experience for me. I kind of fell into it. It wasn't what I was looking for. Um, and I remember when I started out as an intern for our previous parent company, I shout out the crime reporter and was like, this job is super cool. You know, I want to do this all the time. And I got to here and I was like, holy crap, what did I sign up for? Um, but it's definitely been a encouraging experience um, being here as a crime reporter. What's been the most interesting or fulfilling story that you've written at the Savannah Morning News so far? And it doesn't necessarily have to be on your beat. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Um, I think one of the biggest stories that I've written is um, a lot of those crime stories, the day after stories that I talk to families and, you know, how they move forward and now they've lost a loved one. Um, being check in with them and establish a relationship with them is definitely important to me. So whenever I get to do those stories, it's really rewarding. What's your process like for that? I mean, do you, it's got to be really hard to sort of ask a family member to be able to pry into their lives when they're so vulnerable or in a vulnerable position. So how do you even go about doing that? I always have to remember that I have to be a human being first and then a reporter second. Um, people are going to respond to you a lot more when you are empathetic and really understand that they're going through something and they will help you as best they can, but they have to set boundaries. Um, so I rem- offer my condolences, offer them the opportunity to talk later if they want to, and that usually gets them to open up to me. Do you find, in terms of more logistically, that text, a Facebook message, or a phone call works better for people during this time? Or It's kind of difficult just because of the age that we're in right now. Digital is everything, but I like to go talk to people face-to-face. I hate doing text message. I think it seems kind of impersonal, but that's just where we are these days. Do you often find yourself in a position where people are wondering, how did you find me? Yes, <laughs> oftentimes. Um, especially, I've actually had a gun point in my face once when I did this story, and it was, it was definitely a... Um, interesting experience they you you see these people at their worst moments um and so i try to go to people and say hey you know i came across information just in the community um people forget that tax records and property records are public record and i hate to be like yeah i found you on social media or whatever i just want to talk to you is that okay i hate to go up to people's houses that's probably one of the worst things that i have to do but it's something that has to be done um and i let people know up front this is how i found you um i want to talk to you if you don't it's okay i understand and so what happened with the whole gunpoint situation? Um, so there was a homicide, and I went to talk to someone, and it wasn't in the best neighborhood. Um, and it, everything was kind of chaotic, and it was dark at night. And I was just like, hey, I'm not, I'm not a threat. I want to let you know this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Can I talk to you? And they kind of backed down after a while, but it was um, the most terrifying 45 seconds of my life. Where were you in your career path? Had you just started or how recent did this happen? I'm going to say probably a little over two years ago. So I'd been in the game for a little bit, so nothing had surprised me at that point, but it was still terrifying. 
How did your support system at the newspaper sort of go about that after the fact? Was there any, okay, so now we're gonna sign you up for self-defense classes or? I actually never told anyone about it. Yeah, this is the first time I'm talking about it. Um, they, we have an employee assistance program so that if we need to talk to someone, they're there and we can always talk to our editors, um, but I never really told anyone. I kind of just chalked it up to the game. Do you feel as though working in the crime beat offers different things being that you're a woman? Have you experienced any challenges that you face working the beat? I definitely do. Um, I definitely notice that people will talk to you, especially if they think they can get something from you. That's something I tell all my female reporters and that we have to deal with just in the industry. Officials will be nice to you if they think you're pretty or whatever. Um, but I gotta let people know, this is what I do. This is what I'm capable of. So if you don't want to talk to me because of this, then we don't have to talk at all. Would you say that that gunpoint situation was the most challenging story for you? Or did you have any other examples of, of really challenging stories to complete? One story that was really challenging is I had gotten called to a shooting and it was maybe 11 o'clock at night. It was really dark, um, but every, all the media was there. And the woman's son, I think he was 16, had died on the scene. And I just hear this deafening scream in the middle of the street. And I like heard it in my sleep for nights afterwards. I couldn't get over it. How does your daily schedule look like? Because I can only imagine that you're on the police scanners, that you're expected to be on call in case of a breaking news situation. So how do you go about sleeping and maintaining your daily affairs with uh, breaking news? <laughs> it's definitely a challenge because um, I also have more than one job, not just here. I actually, I have a part-time job and then I also run a business. So when I'm here, I work typically anywhere from 11 to 7, but my eyes are always on the police scanner, Twitter, social media. Um, I do have a, a colleague who does the night beat as well. So when I'm not here, he's working cops and we work hand in hand, but I'm always plugged in. I'm sure you have daily interactions with public information. So I'd love to talk a little bit about documents and maybe any potential challenges that have come up when covering a primarily documents-based beat. How do you incorporate the human element when maybe a story has only existed in document form? I always tell people, don't stop keep pushing. Eventually, you're going to hit brick after brick, brick wall after brick wall, but keep going. You're going to eventually find someone who's going to be like, hey, let me help you do something. Because when I first started, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I was like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And the reporter before me told me, just keep trying, keep pushing. Someone's eventually going to say yes to you and help you. So do you have to sometimes push by showing up face to face and saying, I have a right to these documents? I remember the first time I got here and was just like, I don't want to bother these people. You know, I hate calling them five times a day. And I'm just like, this is what they get paid for. And this is what I get paid for. So they owe me these things and I'm going to get them. Let's say, you know, these day after stories warrant more investigation mm -hmm. or um, would be a great, you know, human interest piece. How do you go about adding that human element to a documents-based story? Um, so that's where social media comes in. I always look for people who are talking about whatever case I have on social media, Facebook particularly, and I'll reach out and say, hey, you know, I want to know if you know anything about this. Can I talk to you over the phone for maybe five minutes? Um, I'll definitely go in the community. People know me nowadays, so I'm typically stopped by community centers, just check in with um, leaders and say, hey, do you know anything about this? Can someone point me in the right direction? Networking is everything. I guess whenever you first started on this beat, you really had to show your face in the community? Absolutely. I actually met a mom who she had lost her son in 2015 right after, I, right before I got here. And I met her and started a relationship with her and kind of just checked in on her daily to see, hey, what do you do? What do you, you know, do you know anything going on? And she actually runs the community center. So she'll send me, hey, we have this going on for the kids or this is happening. And I'll just show up from time to time and just say hi. I don't have to be working. I don't have to be on the beat. I just want to just check and make sure that she knows I'm here in case she needs anything, in case I need anything, I can ask her. 
So you mentioned earlier this idea of everyone knows that you're needing something from them. So how do you balance that in a in a community setting where you're just trying to show your face and you are trying to do your job mm-hmm. and you need these sources, but you're not trying to just use them for a byline and move on? Mm-hmm. I, I go back after my stories and I, I will check in with them and say, hey, how you doing? You know, what's going on? Happy holidays, whatever it may be. You know, you're feeling sick. I haven't seen you in a few days. So what's going on in your life? Um, and I actually got to know this particular family really well. That I know all of her sons. She had four. Um, I know all of our sons and the majority of her grandkids as well. They all know the news lady. That's been a great thing. Let's talk a little bit about the power of local news. It's on everyone's minds nowadays is, you know, local news is, quote, dying. Community news, local news, newspapers in particular. There's really just apparently not a market for them anymore. So can you talk about your experience working for a local newspaper mm-hmm. and what value it may or may not still serve to a community of people? So I always say that local news is not dying. It's transforming. Um, and that's because people will always care about what's going on that affects them. So it's never going to die. Sally down the street is always going to want to know, you know, if I, they raise taxes, that's 20 more cents out of my paycheck. So I want to know what's going how this is going to affect me. Um, so people are now going to Facebook and social media, but they're still getting that information from one place, which is where it's going to come through us. I tell people that local news is never going to die, no matter what you do. So, so you mentioned this idea of, of news transforming. Mm-hmm. And being from the Savannah area myself, I'm, I'm noticing that the Savannah paper is almost becoming, or at least it's almost required by the community that it's becoming kind of like a metro paper, mm-hmm. where it's covering a huge range of counties mm-hmm. as these smaller county papers are starting to close, or they're becoming digital only or digital first. So have you noticed in your coverage that, that it, there's been a need for an expansion of your coverage. Can you talk about ways in which it's transforming? Since we um, have changed owners, we've definitely changed our readership and kind of focusing on things that affects a broader spectrum of people. Um, like we have sister papers um, in Effingham County and Bryan County, but they all encompass in here. So we're looking at a broader picture and we're not focused only anymore of Savannah just because we can't afford to. Like we have fewer reporters, smaller staff, but we need to serve the people just like we did back in the day. How do you go about covering such a wide range of people and making sure that their needs are met? Just getting out in the community, that's never going to stop. You have to get out there. People need to know who you are and that you care. Talking more about your day-to-day, do you only look at the Savannah PD crime reports or do you have to look in places like you mentioned, Effingham County, Bryan County? How do you go about doing that? No, so Savannah is kind of special in that we just demerge our police department. So now we used to have a, a metro police department. So now we have a city and county police department, which I'm used to being in my hometown paper of Marietta, um, not to mention local police departments um, like Port Wentworth and Pooler. So I'll check with my primaries all the time and then I'll collaborate with other reporters who look at the other um, areas that I'm not familiar with and make sure that we're sharing notes and nothing is missed. You obviously have to do the daily crime blotter and things that stick out to you across the area, but how do you go about managing trends over time? Um, so that's where having a coworker really helps. Um, so he helps me with the daily stuff and I'll start to look over um, trends since I've been here a little bit longer and I've been uh, I know what's going on more kind of talking to people and do the community aspect that what people care about how that's translating to reports um, and then we'll come together maybe every other month and see what can we focus on so this may be a weird question being how tough and hard being on the crime beat is but what's your favorite part about the job favorite part about my job the adrenaline rush as weird as that is it's my favorite and least favorite part at the same time it's stress it's high stress anything can change at any moment and that's both exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. I've been in the gym. Like today, I um, realized I left my heels somewhere in my apartment. I was like, oh, I have a sneakers right now, but that's fine. It's good to work. I carry a go bag all the time with me in my car, three days in case anything happens. 
in May, we had a plane crash go down. And so that was a crazy experience. Everything hit. And I was doing a routine story. I think it was out in Tybee that day when I got the phone call. And I was like, I need to get to, you know, Port Orleans right now. And I'm like speeding through. I probably shouldn't have been. But I'm speeding through the city. I'm, I'm thankful that no police cars were watching me because um, they were busy. But it was so exciting to get there and say, hey, you know what? Let me help. What can I do? How can I assist? I tell people, um, people like to be police officers or firefighters. That's the way they give back to community. Journalism is how I give back to my community. That's how I do my part. So what is, just transitioning a little bit to talk about your experiences at Grady, mm-hmm. what is something, and, and maybe not just specifically Grady, but just J schools as a whole in your experience with working with reporters and the professional scape, what has been something that J school didn't teach you that you wish that it would have taught you? I think the one thing J school didn't teach me was that every opportunity is a great opportunity no matter what. When I was in school, I felt like I always had to focus on one thing, but now that I got into the real world, we're one man banding it everywhere, so I should know everything. Um, and we, they started to open up as I transitioned to a graduate, um, having more classes for people to cross educate themselves. Talking about you know the idea of, of healthy living um, while being a journalist, mm-hmm. I think these kind of play hand in hand. Where journalists, especially those who deal with breaking news, are really hard mm-hmm. hitting stories that that really do affect you. Like you were talking about that story that kept you up at night. How do you go about, or what's some advice that you have for for working journalists or student journalists or whomever is listening when it when it comes to maintaining a a state of mental health and prioritizing that in your life? I've definitely had some ups and downs. Um, being in this job actually helped me start my company nutrition with B-Ray because I was having such a hard time dealing with everything I needed an outlet. So I started working out at the gym pretty often and that turned around into, hey, I want to make sure that everyone knows that this is available and taking care of yourself is really important. Um, so that's why I started making sure that I was eating properly and talking to someone when I needed to. I talked to my editors. Um, I have a previous editor who is now getting married and he left about a year ago. I'll call him up like twice a week and be like, hey, this story really bothered me and I'm feeling this kind of way about it. And making, talking to people even who don't work here, I talk to some of the TV reporters and we all just kind of pal around and say, hey, what's been going on with you? We'll make sure that you're okay. I've been to the worst end of the spectrum where I've been crying all the time, just having the worst time ever. And then I realized I can't keep doing that. It's not sustainable. I'm going to kill myself that way. Yeah. Once you like hit bottom and you're like crying under your desk at like 4 p.m. in the afternoon, you're kind of like, I need to change something. What's some advice that you have for for people who maybe haven't hit rock bottom yet or don't want to? You know, I'm hearing this just as myself mm-hmm. as, as a student journalist thinking, oh, man, I don't want to have to hit rock bottom yeah. to, to change something about my mental health. So then how do we prevent a rock bottom situation from happening? I think we need to reinforce the value that it's OK to not be OK. People think that you always have to have it together. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay, again, to be crying underneath your desk at 4 p.m. Um, because you've had a long day. And it's also okay to ask for help. Um, like I said, our company has this assistance program if you need to talk about something for the things that we've seen. Kind of just like how police, firefighters, they all do the same thing. We have to deal with the same trauma sometimes, so it's okay to talk to people. So as a final question <laughs> to to all the students out there who are who are listening to the podcast and, and to people like me, what advice do you have while we're still in school and we're looking for a job? Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for those students who may be turning away from the newspaper? Should mm-hmm. we be looking at newspapers for jobs? Where should we head next? I feel like every opportunity is a learning opportunity. Um, don't discount something because you think you're not going to like it. I never thought I was going to get the position the way that I did. I started this internship through a management internship, and I had always known as a student that I wanted to be a reporter. I didn't want to do anything else. You couldn't tell me anything else. And Dr. Hernan was like, hey, apply for this internship and see where it goes. And that's how I actually landed up here at this job. Uh, my editor, the editor at the time of my internship was like, hey, I got a job for you in Savannah. You want to go? And I was like, I'll see you tomorrow. And I always tell students networking is incredibly important. 
Um, my Grady colleagues have been amazing. And then keeping in touch with professors while I was in school has been amazing. One one more quick question yeah. about the networking thing, because this is more so, I, I'm really curious, and I've heard a lot of students talking about this to me too. We always, if you go to a mixer or if you mm-hmm. go to any kind of conference or event or where there's different kinds of journalists in a room and you know that this is built for you to network, mm-hmm. but I have no idea how to go about <laughs> doing this. And we always sort of, all the students sort of cluster in a yeah. ball in a corner and we're like, this is so awkward. I don't know what, I don't know how to sell myself. I don't know mm-hmm. how to just talk to somebody. I don't know how to de-escalate the stress that's yeah. My head right now. So, have you mastered this skill? Uh, I don't think anyone has, but I always sell the Grady family and Grady Pride is so strong that if you can find one Grady grad, even UGA grad in that room, you're set. You're always going to bond over the red and black. It's never going to die. So, I always use that as an icebreaker and keep moving from there. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Brittany. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Lead. I'm your host, Charlotte Norsworthy. This episode was produced with guidance from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. For more episodes with interesting media leaders, subscribe to The Lead on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Until next time.